Welcome back to Real Big Mistakes, where we reevaluate a film's critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes and determine if the movies are better or worse than their reputation suggests. I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. All right, and now this week it was my pick, and I picked a movie that was pretty controversial and pretty high profile back when it first came out in 1994 and now it's uh, deemed rotten on rotten tomatoes so we're gonna try to find out why that is so uh you know i'll just give a little brief synopsis entertainment weekly back in the late 90s called this movie natural born killers the best movie of the decade Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up, calling it one of the best movies of the year. The tagline, the media made them superstars, is appropriate since this is the movie that made Woody Harrelson a movie star. And yet somehow, this controversial yet critically acclaimed movie of the 1990s is considered rotten today. So we are going to take a look at the Oliver Stone's hyper-violent satire Natural Born Killers and decide if it is a masterpiece of social commentary about the media or just another real big mistake. So I, I for one, I think this is one of the best movies of the 90s. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very interested in, you know, what you have to say about this one. So however you want to get started with this one, talking about the year, the actors, the director, uh, there's so much to talk about with this movie. The writer as well, um, too. Or the I was going to say, well, yeah, we should also mention that the Quentin Tarantino, I guess, wrote a script, but not the the way it was shot. I guess his it was a source material. It was he. He's credited as story by allegedly. Right. The premise is the same, but Oliver Stone made a lot of changes with his script, and he's sort of. I don't know if I would go to so far as to say he denounced the final product, but it wasn't. It, this is our second Quentin Tarantino scripted uh, f- movie that we've done on this podcast, but we haven't done a movie that he's directed. Uh, we talked about True Romance at one point in season one, mm-hmm. um, and Tarantino's very proud of that movie. And this has similarities to that, I think, with the romance, a little and bit, yeah. the violence. Um, but then this clearly goes into a different direction than that one does, but there's still a lot of similar elements. Um, so, and they all tie into the Quentin Tarantino universe with some of the characters' names and that sort of thing, so. Are you familiar with Quentin Tarantino's backstory and, like, where this was in his career? Because I don't know much about him. I, I know he worked in a video store. Uh, I think that's, that's like, a famous uh, piece of trivia about him. Mm-hmm. Um, was he writing these scripts while he was working in a video store, and that's how he became a, a director, or... Like, how did he, how did, how did he start out in Hollywood? I mean, I believe so. I know he had script ideas, but he was also a struggling, he was doing anything. If In the late 80s, early 90s, he would do anything to break into the business. There is a okay. f- famous episode of The Golden Girls. He played mm-hmm. an Elvis impersonator. Um, oh, so okay. He, I'm just, I mean, obviously that's not, you know, something that he's, you know, going to be remembered by or proud of. But he was trying to get into the business. And yes, famously, historically, he worked at a video store and him and his friends would just watch movies over and over. He was the first great, one of the first great auteurs from the video store generation, from the VHS right. generation. Because prior to that, their video stores weren't a thing until the 80s, really. And so um, he 
yeah, he just, you know, before that you had to, you know, go to the movie theater or have the film reels and the sound and all that and set it up. So uh, videotape was a very revolutionary thing in the 80s. Um, but that's, yeah, that was Tarantino's background there. And this is just one of the scripts that he wrote and sold uh, to Warner Brothers. And it ended up being, you know, turning into Natural Born Killers. And Oliver Stone, obviously we're going to talk about him later on, uh, you know, big high-profile director at the time. And this is definitely, you know, an out-there movie, even for his standards. So, And is this the same year that Reservoir Dogs came out in 94? It's the same year Pulp Fiction came out. Okay, so Reservoir Dogs already came out, right? That was first? Yes, yeah, Reservoir Dogs came out before um, before Pulp Fiction, before True Romance, yeah, before this. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this was, this was released, like, late August 94, and I think Pulp Fiction was early September, mid-September 94, so they were around the same time, and they were both huge critical hits. Obviously, Pulp Fiction become, you know, more of the you know, got a lot more Oscar nominations. I don't think this movie got any Oscar nominations. Uh, But I think there's a reason why when you might have had a bigger budget and a higher pedigree at the time. But, uh, you know, look at what this movie, (laughs) you know, look at what it looks like versus Pulp Fiction, which it makes Pulp Fiction look like, you know, know, I don't know, more family friendly. Right. Um, Well, some scenes anyway. Um, All right. So... We talked, so yeah, Quentin Tarantino story, um, although, you know, not an exact script. No. Um, and it does Oliver's... kind of follow, it does kind of follow the true romance, the, you know, lovers on the road, violence plaguing them. They're, they're all sort of riffs on Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, definitely. Is I mean, what it comes I mean, I think this all right. comes back to Bonnie and Clyde. And one of my favorite David Lynch movies, I said, was, you know, a, a ripoff of Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern as the lover yeah. being torn apart and on the road. Um, so it's it, it was a, in the early 90s, I guess, this was a popular uh, trope to have. Um, mm-hmm. So um, Yeah, and there's a um, uh, Starkweather, too. Um, I forget the other person, but they were... Um, a uh, couple that were committing murders across the Are country. you thinking, is Charles Starkweather, yeah, he killed a lot of people up in Nebraska. Yeah, so we're going back into like the 60s or 70s there. There's the movie yeah. Badlands uh, with um, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Uh, that's about that's, that? Yeah, and there was also, did you ever see In Cold Blood based on the novel In Cold Blood by Truman Capone? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, good movie. Good. I think you read that book over a summer one time, if I'm not mistaken. I did. I, 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 In Cold Blood was... There's two movies, and I saw them both. Uh, there's Capote, right? Yeah, Capote with Philip Seymour Hoffman as Truman right. Capote. And, and then that was, was like was a an, biopic about him, yeah. Yeah, but it was about In Cold Blood. It was about um, what writing that you know story, yeah, interviewing what, those what, killers, exactly. how it impacted him, yeah. So. Right. Um, and then there, there was an actual movie in Cold Blood too. I don't know yeah, if I from the '60s, actually. Robert Blake, who's actually he was on trial for murdering his wife uh, at some point, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Um, and I forgot who else was in it, but oh, Scott Wilson, who uh, recently passed away, he played Herschel on The Walking Dead. Those were the two killers. Okay. Yeah, I think I did see it. Okay, it's black and white. It's a, it's yeah, a good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a you know not a fun movie. So yeah, so no. I guess this was a yeah, this is a theme that's been in movies for a long time. But uh, Natural Born Killers, I I love what they do with the theme, and I mean, maybe it doesn't hold the test of time, but I think 
this is a really good time capsule of what life was like in 1994 or in the mid 90s for sure Mm -hmm. so um all right so let's let's talk about the director because there's probably i I know you're a big oliver stone fan um i like some of his stuff i don't like all of his stuff and i haven't seen all of his stuff either but what i you know the stuff i have seen some of it i like some of it's okay Mm -hmm. um i think uh platoon obviously and um JFK are, are a couple of my favorites of his. I like Nixon too, although you don't really hear a lot about that. No, and that's a shame. I think it's good. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I, I mean, I'll, I could go off on Oliver Stone and you know talk about his filmography and everything. If you haven't seen a lot of the movies he's made in the past twenty years, you've done yourself a favor. But yeah, uh, prior to that, between here's what I'm going to say: between 1986 and 1995, he had a run. That I don't know. You could name some of the best directors of all time. Kubrick, Scorsese, Spielberg. I don't think they ever had a run. Or very few directors, if any, had a hot streak. He For nine years straight, the man didn't make a bad movie. Okay, I would say his mm-hmm. worst movie was either The Doors or Heaven and Earth. And those are still pretty solid movies. I mean... Uh, doors it's a little crazy we talked about the doors when we did the val kilmer um right uh, we've talked about that a few times on this podcast actually um because yeah. we've talked about val kilmer a few times on here but okay 1986 he had the one two punch two movies in 86 salvador and platoon both excellent platoon being the better one and one best picture deservedly so 87 he had wall street uh then mm-hmm. he had 88 he had talk radio i'm sure you haven't seen that but check it out it's a really really good satire about news uh radio and the media um then he had 1989 born on the fourth of july i mean just those five movies in four years that's incredible right. okay right. then 91 he had the double shot of the doors and jfk and i agree with you i think jfk might be his best movie overall i mean it's three and a quarter hours but man does that movie fly by um, yeah it does then he had heaven and earth which i like but it's not as good as his other vietnam movies uh, for sure then he had 1994 natural born killers which was really you know different and i'm not saying any of those movies i mentioned before natural born killers are subtle because they're not um but this one is his least subtle and then he had nixon which you're right it doesn't get the respect it deserves i feel like it got a lot of critical praise but i i guess it didn't make a lot of money i think it's one of anthony hopkins best movies and i i didn't realize it at the time but it's kind of like he takes the model of citizen kane with nixon and uses that to tell the story of Richard Nixon. And I thought that was fascinating the way he did mm-hmm. with the news media and the back and forth and all that stuff. Um, and then from there, he became a little more hit or miss, mostly miss. U-Turn was horrible. I liked Any Given Sunday. I stand by that that's the best football movie ever made. Um And then he did Alexander. And then just from the 2000s on, I really, I mean, I don't know. It's not even really worth talking about. Wall Street 2 savages yeah that was you <laughs> yeah they just weren't you know the the edge that he had and i think it proves that 
you need to be young and angry and uh, his perspective on Vietnam was better than his perspective on 9-11 or George W. Bush. Yeah, that okay. 9-11 movie wasn't very good either. Yeah, I actually never saw that movie. The World Trade Center. I, I, I saw it, was but I wasn't. Really, I heard yeah. it was very sappy and very not Oliver Stone. And I, I like trying to diversify in everything, but I mean, the Oliver Stone of 1991, he would have made a movie like JFK and somehow tied Dick Cheney into Osama bin Laden and the Taliban. And it, it would have been like, Manchurian candidate more than just a you know mm-hmm. movie about heroic uh, firefighters or cops or whoever whatever it was um, so he, I really think for nine years he was the best director from the mid to late 80s till the mid 90s what a hot streak you know between Salvador and Platoon all the way up to Nixon terrific output every even his lesser movies from that period are still so interesting to watch he, he directed Evita he produced Evita. Oh, produced. Okay. Yeah, he produced Joy Luck Club. He produced a number, a Reversal of Fortune, which I'm sure you haven't seen. Great Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons won the Oscar for that for Best Actor. Glenn Close. It's about Klaus von Bülow and Sonny von Bülow and the murder case where I mean, it's a fascinating uh, murder story, a trial uh, mm-hmm. movie. I highly recommend that. So, yeah, he was an interesting producer. Um, but I mean, always controversial, always audacious. Um, and I think his most controversial and his most audacious movie is probably the one that we're going to really spend the most time talking about today. Natural born killers. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have a favorite Oliver Stone movie? Uh, I think JFK is JFK. All right. Same with me. It's just, I like, I like wall street. Um, I do like wall street a lot. Yeah. The others, Platoon is good, Platoon. Um, but that's, of, that's a tough watch. Born on the 4th um, of July. Again, another tough, tough watch. watch. Good but movie. Man, but... is that an incredible movie. That's, I mean, if anyone who makes fun of Tom Cruise, you just need to watch that and you'll remember, wow, he's a great actor, or at least he used yeah. to be a great actor. So, All right. Um, so this movie came out in 94. So what were the big movies of 94? We already talked about Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction was probably one of the biggest, but I mean, it's 1994 was almost like it, it, it was a great year for movies. So I'll just read a list. And you can feel free to comment on any ones that, uh, you know, pique your interest. Uh, But some of my favorites and some of the biggest that year, uh, obviously Pulp Fiction, Ed Wood, Forrest Gump, Mm. The Lion King, The Shawshank Redemption, True Lies, Speed, um, The Crow, Crooklyn, Maverick, Wolf, Quiz Show. I know you like Quiz Show. I never really cared for that movie. Um, I do like Quiz Show. Yeah, uh, I, I've, and I've watched it a few times. I still find it too slow and boring for me. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I want to like it more than I actually do. Uh, the Madness of King George, Nobody's Fool, Clear and Present Danger, The Last Seduction, Hoop Dreams, Bullets Over Broadway, Nell, The Client, Interview with the Vampire, Legends of the Fall, uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, Jim Carrey may have been the biggest movie star of that year with Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. What a year. You know, three. All three one. came out in the same all year? All three came out in the same calendar year, 1994, and all three were number one. And I think two of those three made over $100 million. Um, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Heavenly Creatures, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Stargate, Time Cop. The Professional, Clerks, so Kevin Smith got his start in 1994 Mm -hmm. as well. Immortal Beloved and a personal favorite of mine, Star Trek Generations. So a lot of great movies in 1994. Yeah, um, uh, some of the ones you you threw out there uh, I I know of uh, and may have seen, and and I'm surprised you threw them out there. 
Um, some of them I haven't seen at all. <laughs> there was mm-hmm. a few there that I, I, I was surprised that you know, I just never even heard of them. Um, but, but for the most part, I've seen the, the majority of those. Um, I'm surprised you you mentioned Crooklyn. I know you like Spike Lee. I do like but, Spike, but Lee. I don't I don't think that's a very good movie. <laughs> really? Okay, I thought that was a good. That was Spike Lee trying to make a family film, like a you know. Yeah. And, and I thought he did a good job with that. I I, def, I definitely enjoyed Crooklyn. Um, haven't seen it in a long time, but I do remember enjoying it. So. Yeah. All right. Um, and what won Best Picture that year? Best Picture oh, was Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Right. Forrest yeah. Gump was the Titanic of that year. Best Picture, Director, Actor. Uh, it just, you know, Pulp Fiction did win screenplay. I think Forrest Gump may have won adapted screenplay. Pulp Fiction won original. Uh, so Forrest Gump was, you know, the big, uh, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, at the Oscars, everyone knew what they were going to get. That was the movie to do beat. You, and, uh, do you think that movie holds up? In my opinion, yes. I know I have friends of mine and some <laughs> film snobs out there that hate that movie. I loved it in 94. I still love it now. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is irony and, you know, Forrest Gump is pretty much the definition of sincerity. They're like polar opposite movies and they're both great. Um, So one of my personal favorites that year, Ed Wood, Tim Burton's movie. I think that's Tim Burton's best movie. Yeah, I I, I like that movie. Johnny Depp's best movie. Martin Landau won the Oscar for it. As good as Martin Landau was, I don't think he deserved to win. I think Samuel L. Jackson should have won Best Supporting Actor that year for Pulp Fiction. Um, the Shawshank Redemption people forget that was a big flop but it did end up getting like 7 or 8 Academy Award nominations um, so yeah I mean speed, and it's like big I, I, don't, I don't know if it still is but it was ranked number 1 on I think IMDB's list I or something I think it I still, still is. is I think it's that and The Godfather are always 1 and 2 yeah, so, yeah either one maybe Godfather will replace it for a few weeks or months and then it's Shawshank again so I don't know it's uh, but they're those two are usually up there and Shawshank's a fine movie I have no qualms with that movie uh, but I was watching all those speed huge action movie uh, really really good uh, terrific 90s movie True Lies the last time James Cameron was just a regular big blockbuster director yeah. before he became king of the world. Uh, so that's kind of a landmark movie. That was also kind of the last time Arnold Schwarzenegger had a huge you know, movie that really dominated the box office for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a big year, and then sandwiched at the end of that summer, you know, between the big Oscar movies and the big blockbusters, was Natural Born Killers, and I think it's a very interesting movie, and it, I think it captures America at a very unique time. And I would love for there, if there was a modern day Oliver Stone, I would love for that younger version of Oliver Stone to come out and make a movie like that about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and what our smartphones have done to us. Whereas he made this movie about what television was doing to us and rotting us in the 1990s. So uh, it it doesn't hold up today because of certain things. But, I mean, you could make an even more volatile, uh, vicious uh, satire um, about our culture today with Twitter and with everything. Look at, you know... Look at the woke culture and the cancel culture that we have. I would just love to see a filmmaker of his talent and his caliber and with his means and what he had access to, to make a story about the United States in 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it could still happen. It could, but I mean, (laughs) well, whatever. Movies are, they're not, you know, movies like Natural Born Killers don't come out anymore. Which, I mean, I guess if you don't like this movie, that's a good thing. But even if you don't, 
a movie that's trying to say something different and be different and be for adults, you know, and be a smart social commentary. That's really tough to find uh, when everyone's just going to the latest Marvel movie or the latest franchise or reboot or sequel or whatever. So it's it's just different nowadays. And All right. Um, let, let's talk about... Um, Let's let's get into the cast because uh, there's a lot of people in this movie. There definitely are. There's um, one that I know you're gonna be. You, I can't wait to talk about with you because you're probably very surprised to see his name in the cast. Uh, me? Really? One actor in particular. Oh, okay. So yeah. all right, I think I know what you're gonna say. Um, yeah, yeah. all right. So Woody Harrelson uh, plays Mickey Knox. Juliette Lewis plays Mallory Wilson. Robert Downey Jr. plays Wayne Gale. Tommy Lee Jones is Dwight McCluskey. He is the warden at the prison in the end. Uh, Tom Sizemore is the detective that's after them. Jack Scagnetti. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, I'm, I'm assuming you uh, are referencing. I was referencing. I mean, this is his only dramatic work. <laughs> um, he plays Ed Wilson, who is Mallory's uh, father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mallory's mother is Edie McClurg, mm-hmm. um, best known as being Grace from Ferris Bueller, to me anyway. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. Um, uh, Russell Means is the old, is credited as the old Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much it, unless there's anyone I'm forgetting. The only name I'd like to throw out there is Arliss Howard. He was in the opening oh, scene yeah. in the diner, and he's kind of like the spirit or whatever that he, guides he's them like the person the that prison. guides them at the end yeah he's like a, a mysterious guide that you know follows them through and he has actually some interesting deleted scenes that would have really changed the ending of the movie for sure um but uh, and i like him of course from uh full metal jacket he's one of the soldiers in full metal jacket yeah he's been in a lot he's um, been in a few other things that's the only one i remember off the top of my head but otherwise you yeah i think everyone. he was in the second jurassic park movie yes um, i think so you're right yeah you know that franchise better than i do yeah all right so um yeah so he is in in that in this movie as well a brief mm-hmm. brief scene yeah. um all right so woody harrelson like you said this movie is the movie that kind of brought him from just uh more of a comedic actor into more of a superstar, and just also career... from a, yeah, from from a TV star to right because prior to this, his only leading role in a movie, and it's an excellent movie, was White Men Can't Jump. That's true. Um, yeah, he was in Cheers. Uh, anything else on TV or just Cheers? Not that I know of. He had small parts. Did you ever see the Steve Martin movie L.A. Story? No, he had a. It's a good movie. He had a small part in that, but yeah, as far as leading roles. It was Cheers, which led to White Men Can't Jump, which somehow inexplicably, those two roles led to Oliver Stone wanting to cast him in as the lead in Natural Born Killers. And since 1994, he's been working very consistently as a leading man in, you know, in every genre, okay, in various yeah. degrees of quality. And he went back to TV for the uh, high-profile and excellent uh, limited series or miniseries, whatever you want to call it, on HBO, True Detective, with him and Matthew McConaughey, the best season of the you know limited series so far, in my opinion. So he's been a terrific actor for now 25, 26, 27 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, his career is interesting because it's... He, he, I feel like 
he, at least for me anyway, he goes away for a while and then he comes back and he's in like 10 movies at once. <laughs> and then, and then you don't hear from him for a little bit. And then, like you said, then he's in a mini series and, but he's always around. Um, so, you know, he's big roles, small roles. He was in friends with benefits. I think that's the one with, um, Mila Kunis and, um, Justin Timberlake. I, I never saw that. Called. I don't know that. Yeah, he has a very small supporting role in that movie that literally could have been anybody. He had a um, small role in Anger Management, the Adam Sandler, Jack Nicholson movie. Yeah. He was like a trans... I forgot what. He was dressed up as a woman, undercover or something, uh, I, pretending to be a hooker. Or, I don't remember exactly, but I was like, hey, wait a minute, that's Woody Harrelson. He had a cameo in Austin Powers too with those the penis scenes. Oh, he was, one, he was one of those was, people? Uh, there's, look, I'm just looking at the giant Woody. Woody Harrelson, would you sign this autograph? Sure. Hey, what's that? Wang, uh, pay yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Those scenes, yeah. So he was. He had a small cameo in that. But I do agree with, it feels like he, he, he is always consistently working, but mm-hmm. it just seems like some things he'll go two or three years where he makes stuff that flops and nobody sees, and then he'll go on a hot streak and make like two, three, four big movies in a row. Um, I feel like he's been on a bit of a hot streak lately, or at least the past three or four years. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. He got an Oscar nomination for that. Um, I feel like in the mid to late 90s, he was pretty red hot after this. Well, no, maybe not, because, you know, he, he did Kingpin, which flopped, but I really liked it. He did, uh, then that same year, he did People vs. Larry Flint, which he should have won Best Actor for. Um, he was nominated, uh, and mm-hmm. he was incredible in that. And that, you know, he just, he really, really was terrific in that. And he had a small part in Wag the Dog. Yeah, so he's he's always there. He's found out a nice niche for himself. He could do it's- comedy, drama, action, you know, seamlessly. You could throw him into villain Good guy, bad guy, he could do it all. Uh, and But he always has his signature, you know, sort of American, Southern, Texas, Woody Harrelson flair to him, which I really like. Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, his career is interesting in that he, he's, you know, he can be a leading man and then not a leading man mm-hmm. and then being a leading man again, which is usually rare. Usually when you're a leading man, you stick that or you try to stick with that uh, and you ride that out as much as you can. Because that's you know where you get the big bucks, but yeah. I feel like he he's not afraid to take supporting roles, very small roles mm-hmm. too. That in in movies that aren't anything special, yeah. um, and then he'll go right back to being a leading man and and you know knock it out of the park. So, so yeah, maybe he goes by the script, or maybe he or maybe just does what he feels humble. like doing. He does what yeah. he feels like doing. He doesn't he doesn't have to be the leading man like Kevin Costner. He's always the leading man, you know, until yeah, he couldn't yeah, yeah. be anymore. Kind of that sort of thing. Uh, so I guess he is humble. Or I guess he has a good agent or whatever. But yeah, he's, you know, been very successful, I think. And I think Mm -hmm. he's very good at what he does. I feel like I always like seeing Woody Harrelson. And this movie, this Natural Born Killers, was a huge turning point in his career. Mm Because White Men Can't Jump, great movie. No, No denying that. But that's still a comedy. You know, whereas he was known primarily for comedy for Cheers. So I don't know what dark edge, I mean, that Oliver Stone saw in him, but he unleashed it. And he's, like I said, he's done comedy, drama. He can be the villain. He can be the hero. He can be sympathetic. Um, There was a a coming-of-age movie with Haley Steinfeld a few years ago called Edge of 17. And he played, like, Mm -hmm. a really nice, sympathetic teacher. It was just... So he he can kind of do anything. He always looks the same and acts the same. But I guess it's sort of like Christopher Walken, where you throw him into anything and he's good. Leading or, you know, a one scene in a movie kind of cameo role and he makes an impact. So, yeah, yeah, he's a very, very... Very interesting actor. I've always liked him. 
Um, Juliette Lewis is the female lead in this movie. Um, I'll be honest, I never really cared for her as an actress. Um, Interesting. I, okay. I don't know what it is about her. But she definitely has a redneck quality to her, so which I think makes her perfect for this role. Well, yeah, in this role. So in this yeah, role, she but was... I, she's been in a string of movies where I, I mean. First of all, we got to start. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, the first movie role that I know of, at least, you know, that I would think that probably we both know her from. She was the daughter. She was Audrey in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yes, she was, but very small role, and it literally could have been anybody. That is true. Kind of an inconsequential role, but a big role, yeah. and it got her famous. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And Johnny Galecki was her little brother. And now I think when you see that family of four, he's the most famous and successful person in 2021 out of Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and Juliette Lewis. But uh, yeah. at the time, up until maybe I don't know the mid 2000s, <laughs> he was the least successful of those four. Um, yeah, I liked her in. Cape Fear. She got an Oscar nomination for that, uh, starring opposite. Yeah, she Robert was fine in Cape Fear. Oh, I thought she was terrific in Cape Fear. I really liked her in that. I liked her in Natural Born Killers. I liked her in California with her then boyfriend Brad Pitt at the time. I liked her in Strange Days. I liked her in the Quentin Tarantino scripted, Robert Rodriguez directed, uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, so in the mid '90s, she was super, super popular, doing a lot of avant-garde, um, interesting films. All those movies I named, I think, are excellent movies. Maybe someone else could have played their, those parts, and they would have been just as good. But you know, she had a good run in the mid '90s, where I thought she was, you know, just making good movie after good movie for a long, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Downey Jr. This is during his, you know, he's before Iron Man, obviously, um, and after his, um, well, was he big in the 80s? I guess not really. He was kind of big in the 80s, but I feel like the 90s, he was, you know, a good actor in the 90s. He got, the Chaplin was 91 or 92, and he got an Oscar nomination, and that sort of, it wasn't a financial hit, but critically, that got him noticed and sort of put... Robert Downey Jr. on the map as a serious actor instead of just, you know, back to school and, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live. Because he was, we forget, he was in one season of Saturday Night Live. Um, But Robert Downey Jr., the drug problems he had all throughout the 90s, constantly getting in and out of trouble and arrested. Right. Um, But I think this is, you could say this is a bold statement. We've talked about Robert Downey Jr. on this uh, podcast before because I always bring up Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with him and Val Kilmer, which you Mm -hmm. have to see. Uh, But it's not rotten, so I'll have to come up with some other excuse (laughs) for you to see this. Um, But I think this is his best acting. In Natural Born Killers. Really? As the Australian Wayne Gale, like an Australian Mm -hmm. Geraldo. And he based it on Geraldo after seeing Geraldo's interview with Charles Manson. If you haven't seen that interview, it was on YouTube. You've got to watch. I know you read In Cold Blood. Did you ever read Helter Skelter about the Manson murders? Yes, I did. Phenomenal book, I thought, by Vincent Bugliosi. Really, really, like... Just watch, see, you just, you need to just watch five minutes of this interview and see how Charles Manson owned Geraldo Rivera. Like, I don't understand how Geraldo Rivera still has a career between that and the Al Capone's vault thing. And (laughs) and I think he just nailed, listeners of a certain age will know what I'm talking about. Um, But uh, this, this, he just, this is best supporting actor material. He should have at least been nominated 
uh, for yeah. his turn in Natural Born Killers, in my opinion, because he does the Australian accent great. He plays media at its worst, at least 1990s media. Because remember, in the 90s, there was hard copy and a current affair and all mm. those kinds of infotainment shows that they had, like 2020. I don't even remember. I think 2020 is still around, but there was a lot, like even lower yeah, brown. hard like copy. Hard copy, current affair. Uh, and yeah. that, that was big, you know. But today we have, I think, the ID channel. Does that still exist? I know uh, that was... I don't know. Okay, yeah. So it was just all these true crime news stories that was, I think South Park made fun of it by calling it uh, informative murder porn, and that's what it was. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, he's terrific uh, in this role, so. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is playing the the warden, giving a very over-the-top performance. Mm-hmm. Um, basically trying out for Two-Face, I felt like. <laughs> I never realized that until now. Yes, and I always thought that his Two-Face was, I feel like, Joel Schumacher or someone, whoever directed him, or it said, just do your best impression of Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But it looks like he yeah. just took whatever leftover energy he had from playing uh, Warden Dwight McCluskey in Natural Born Killers, he carried over into... Uh, Batman Forever. And 1993, 94, 95, that was a good time to be Tommy Lee Jones because, yeah, he was Two-Face, but he was fresh off his Oscar win from 1993 for Best Supporting Actor in The Fugitive. Um, And he also, 1994, he did Cobb. Did you ever see that movie with him as Ty Cobb? Excellent movie, I thought. And he was in uh, JFK in 91. He was in JFK, got an Oscar nomination for that. So, yeah, he's always worked with Oliver Stone. He was in Heaven and Earth with Oliver Stone. So, yeah, he's he's a really, really good actor. And I guess his career really started to reach high points. He was in The Client as well from 1994. Mm-hmm. So this was a very, uh, you know, big, exciting, profitable time for him. Blown Away. I know we mentioned that when we talked about Predator 2 because that was directed by Stephen Hopkins. He was the mad bomber in Blown Away, uh, blowing up all parts of Boston as like an IRA, Irish uh, bomber, and Jeff Bridges had to stop him. Uh, so, yeah, I've always liked Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, do you, you like him? or? Yeah, yeah, he's he's good in, in everything he's been in. Um, I didn't care for him as Two Face, nor did I care for that movie. Um, mm. I but, liked it as a kid, but it's now that we know what Batman can be, it just yeah, looks like exactly. kids stuffed, made to sell uh, Happy Meals and toys. Yeah, and but I, like I, I like him in, in everything else he's been in. Um, Lincoln, he was terrific in Lincoln. Lincoln, yeah, uh, yeah. He, yeah, got an Oscar nomination for that. Yeah, he's always a very good, tough, serious actor. Um, solid so, actor. Yeah, very, very solid actor. So, um, Tom Sizemore, I don't know much about him. He looks so familiar, but I didn't really recognize a lot that he's been in. In the 90s, he was... Okay, he was the man for war movies. He was in Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk okay. Down, Pearl Harbor. Um, and then he did a lot of action movies. He was in Strange Days, which I mentioned. Actually, at the time of filming Natural Born Killers in Strange Days, 94 and 95, the one in Natural Born Killers was 94, Strange Days was 95, him and Juliette Lewis were in both. I think they were in a drug-fueled relationship, boyfriend. Girlfriend. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they and he was his name is Scagnetti. They mentioned Scagnetti. It's one of those, you know how Tarantino has the Tarantino-verse? Yeah. It's a name that they mention. He's like a parole officer or something. Uh, Harvey Keitel's Mr. White mentions him in um in reservoir dogs 
Um, so that's yeah, point of you know, worth noting there. Yeah. Um, so he he was a good solid actor in the nineties. He was in Point Break, uh, one of my favorite action movies from the nineties with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. He was in Passenger Fifty Seven, Wesley Snipes' uh, big breakout action movie. Um, so yeah, he did a lot of like tough guy roles. He was in The Relic. Did you ever see The Relic? No. I actually like that action, a 90s action movie, you know, thriller, more horror action, I guess, uh, about this okay. monster in a museum. Yeah, so I really like, uh, he had a good run, but allegedly he has a big drug problem, and that's why we don't see him as much anymore. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodney Dangerfield is in this as well, in a pretty horrible role, or as a horrible character. Yeah, I mean. It's a despicable character, but yeah. I think by making it Rodney Dangerfield, it made it tolerable or at least palpable where you could you know watch what was going on yeah Um, what did you think of that bit of casting before we even get into rodney dangerfield's career what did you think of you know oliver stone almost stunt casting it but it it kind of you know it made sense i think um i i didn't love i I don't know i didn't love it um i thought it was kind of weird to see him play that character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i i didn't really care for him being that character and some of the things that he said just wasn't my Rodney Dangerfield and and it's not supposed to be but right but to me it it didn't need to be him Um, I think it needs to be then if it wasn't him it it needed to be someone like him I suppose okay so I mean I I give Oliver Stone gets credit he gave two late comedic actors their only dramatic roles John Candy and JFK as that southern Mm -hmm. uh, New Orleans DA and Rodney Dangerfield and Natural Born Killers. Although these scenes, the way he films them, obviously when we get to dissecting the movie, it's like, you know, so surreal and so bizarre. And, you know, with that sitcom yeah. laugh track when he's saying these awful, offensive, horrible things. Um, so, but obviously that was intentional and that was the point uh, for most of this movie, at least. And I think those scenes, he really nailed, you know, the commentary yeah. almost too well with what he was going for. Yeah, and his career, obviously, you know, stand-up comedian, um, considered one of the best ever. Yeah. Um, then appeared in films. Um, Caddyshack was one of his earlier ones, I would I imagine. I think that was his first movie. Yeah. If I'm not uh, mistaken. And, and, was and he was kind movie. of old when that came out. Oh, yeah, out. He, was, he was in his 50s, I think, by the time yeah. that came out. So, yeah, he wasn't not an actor by, you know, trade. But like you said, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. You know, you would, so many great comedians will, you know, give him credit. And Jim Carrey is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Seinfeld. It, Seinfeld, absolutely. Andrew Dice Clay. So, like, comedians of various range, you know, like, whether they're family-friendly, you know, like Seinfeld or the crudest, most vulgar comedians like Andrew Dice Clay. They, encur- he encouraged them, he helped them, he got them started, and... Many would go on to be even more successful, you know, than Rodney Dangerfield was. But he also made a few other good movies. I mentioned Back to School, another movie with him and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, yeah. That's one of my favorite 80s comedies, for sure, along with Caddyshack. Um, any other Rodney Dangerfield movies worth mentioning? Um, looking back on it, I, I, as a kid, I remember thinking this was a funny movie, but it's kind of a <laughs> very odd premise now. Uh, Ladybugs. I liked Ladybugs as a kid, but yes, that's probably one of the least PC could never be made movies. Yeah, never. Today. Yeah, it's, now. it's it's funny and it's it's so bad it's good at moments. Uh, I've seen right that in recent years. Uh, did you ever see Easy Money with him and Joe Pesci and Jennifer Jason Lee? 
No, I never saw it. That's a funny one. Um, not not as good as, you know, certainly not Caddyshack or Back to School. I guess none of his comedic movies. I like Meet Wally Sparks, uh, where he's like a Howard Stern, you know, out, or Jerry mm-hmm. Springer type talk show host uh, saying and doing outlandish things. I thought that was really funny, but uh, it's it's not on the same level as uh, Back to School or Caddyshack. So. No, not even close. Yeah. But it's maybe better than Ladybugs. I would give Meet Wally Sparks um, that I, I don't. I didn't see Meet Wally Sparks, but I remember it. I, I saw bits and pieces of it i, I actually saw it in the theater <laughs> so yeah, yeah i know it. you love the line when he gets poked with a sword or something and says she got me right in the touche or something <laughs> yeah like that. there's a lot of great <laughs> lines in that but that's that's a good one yes <laughs> i oh, must have God. repeated that a lot over the years so yeah. we're working at the rock wall <laughs> yep. okay all right so any right, other actors um, worth going over no i'd mentioned Edie mcclurg played uh grace in um Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She is the secretary to, uh, I think his name is Jeffrey Jones, right? Jeffrey um, Jones, Principal, Principal Rooney. Yeah. Was it Principal Rooney, I think? Uh, Ed Rooney, Dean of Students. Ed Rooney, Dean of Students. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, yeah, she's um, been in a few other things. She was in Carrie. She was in the Elvira movie. She just pops up in some random yeah. things here and there. Like like this role. She popped up in it. and Yeah, so. Um, there is a Seinfeld connection. Did you notice it? It's a it's a deep one. I wouldn't expect you to know it. Is it is it like deep, so deep like the Waterworld connection you made where I had no clue, or is it one that I should maybe kind of? Is it? I don't know. It also depends the, on the episode because this I don't probably know. wouldn't have jumped out to me if she wasn't playing pretty much the exact same character. And it's uh, her name is Olan Jones. She is Mabel in the very beginning, the diner waitress. Yes, and she's a waitress in Seinfeld. Yes, in the Bubble Boy episode, she is the oh. waitress at the diner they stop at, and Jerry gives her a signed autograph picture, and he write, he didn't know what to write, so he wrote, nothing's finer than being in your diner, and then he tried to take it back, and he was like fighting with her over it. I remember that, and I remember that now, that, but I didn't realize that was the same waitress. <laughs> same waitress in, okay. in pretty much the exact same role. So well, I, guess at that, I was like, oh, wait, I know her. Um, playing waitresses and, pays the bills for her, at least in the And that was first. Time. That was first. So mm. Oliver Stone must have liked her performance. Maybe. All right. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think she was also in playing a similar type role. Did you ever see the Tim Burton movie Mars Attacks? Yeah, I did, actually. I think she... I don't know if she's a waitress, but remember... She might have been a waitress in that. Jack Black had that... Came from that white trash family. The tra- they lived in a trailer kind of thing. Yeah. I think she was the mother. Oh, okay. In that. Like, there was the redneck father. I forget. Joe Don Baker played the father. I think Lucas Haas was the younger brother who worked at a donut shop or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, and they had a grandma who was, like, senile, but she had the, the music she had is what killed the aliens. So uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a silly yeah. movie, but I, I guess I, I remember liking it. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I think Olan Jones is a similar type part in, in Mars Attacks okay. as well. So that's an interesting connection. I did not realize that one. Yeah. Well, there it is. So we have our okay. Seinfeld connection. Yeah, I think that's the only Seinfeld one. Okay. Um, all right. So that does it for the cast. And we talked about the director and the writer. Um, could, could I mention real quick the music? Yeah, go ahead. Terrific soundtrack, I think. Uh, I, Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails only had two albums at this point, so somehow he, Oliver Stone, must have really liked Nine Inch Nails, so he gave Trent Reznor a lot of 
uh, freedom to, you know, select the songs and arrange the soundtrack. He didn't do the music score, but he has since Trent Reznor now, besides being, you know, a rock star and, you know, Nine Inch Nails and all their albums and everything, he composes a lot of music and he's composed two Academy Award winning uh, movie scores. He won, he won an Oscar for his score for The Social Network which was his mm-hmm. first movie score, and he won an Oscar for the score for last year's Disney Pixar movie, Soul. So, oh, okay. very, very uh, talented uh, musician, pro- producer, composer. And, uh, yeah, I-, I don't know how you feel about this soundtrack, but for me, from the opening credits with that Leonard Cohen song up to then they use a different Leonard Cohen song in the closing credits, I just, I really think that the music, you know, helped carry this movie into different I, I liked... Depths. I liked when they did oldies, but that was pretty much it. Okay, all right. Well, I liked other than, I mean, they couldn't get the rights to, he really wanted a Snoop Dogg song, but at the time, yeah, 1994, I read that. Snoop Dogg was on trial for murder, so Warner Brothers didn't want to use him, and that's understandable, so I think they used some other rap songs, but it's mostly a lot of rock and some oldies, yeah, some Sweet Jane, yeah. some, oh, what was that, uh, Patti Smith in there, um, but it's definitely, uh, the music's kind of all over the place. Um, all right, so the movie is Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% critic score, 81% audience score. Um, you mean 49% critic score? Yes, what did you I say? You said 94. Okay. Oh, I'm like, sorry, yeah. For, that's 49. far from rotten. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, 49%. What was the, what was the uh, audience score? Audience, 81%. That's a big difference. That's like double yeah. almost. Okay, wow. I would under the movie like this. I would kind of almost expect it to be the opposite. So, yeah, especially since you had mentioned that at the time, a lot of critics like. Yeah, well, maybe this is like I've said. We have, I I find problems with the Rotten Tomato rating system because I know for a fact certain movies like John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, Hitchcock's Vertigo, they were critically reviled when they came out, and now we look at them as classics, but. They, they were not critically praised when they well, were first released. So the this Meta was critic- critically praised when it was first released, to the best of my knowledge, um, mm-hmm. going by Siskel and either the highest profile, Entertainment Weekly, Siskel and Ebert. You know, in the mid-90s, there wasn't Rotten Tomatoes, but those were, you know, two, three of the biggest critical voices in the country at the time, so... Well, if the the uh, meta score, the Metacritic score for this movie, is seventy four. If that puts things, oh, in that's a big you. difference. Okay, see, that's a, that would be fresh. Yeah, so that's a big difference there. All right, so the movie is about um, the the according to Rotten Tomatoes, the movie info: Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis are two young, attractive serial killers who become tabloid TV darlings thanks to a sensationalistic press led by Robert Downey Jr. The press reports the pair as they go on a 52-people killing spree, a controversial look at the way the media portrays criminals. Um, all right, so let's get into the movie, and I'm going to start off right off the bat saying to you and our listeners that I hated this movie. Oh, I hated. come on, really? And it's, it's been a, I don't know if there's ever been a movie that I've hated that we've reviewed. I hated this movie. Wow. 
from the opening scene from the get-go oh man because it's definitely jarring with the colors but the leonard cohen song you didn't like that leonard cohen opening waiting for a miracle i love that creepy haunting it's fine but the movie is not and the symbolisms throughout the green with the 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 key lime pie hated it oh oh my god normally you wait till the end to say really i well because i would give it away in my tone so i figured i might as well just say now and then you know that way we can talk about why as a social um, commentary though like for uh, what the, the 90s so, was like like no I mean, so, this captured what the 90s was like and what culture you know and and i mean because i guess we didn't have terrorism we didn't have a pandemic we didn't have you know two wars going on we had it's kind of like fight club where we had a lot of nothing and the OJ trial, Lorena Bobbitt, the Menendez uh, brothers, the, the the all the Rodney King. Okay, this was a commentary on all of that, and I thought he captured it so well with what you know we were going through at that time. I agree with what you're saying, and I have no issue with the message of this movie. Mm. Um, I, I think it. You're right, and. Um, I that is not what I don't like about the movie. It's the everything else about it. So the style um, and the over the, the style. topness, the way he directed it with all the editing and the different films. Oh my the god, black and the white e- and the colors yes. and the, the animation. I liked his animation sequences, but it's definitely over the top. It's there's nothing subtle about this movie. That's that's the piece about of, of this movie that I hated, hated, mm. hated, hated. The wow. the eight thousand cuts, which honestly that's my biggest problem with any given Sunday as well. Okay, um, he does fall in love with that style around. Yeah. He does it in JFK too. He does, but it's more. I don't know what it is about that movie, but the it's cuts not work. like this. This is more and, kinetic and like frantic, and you know. Yeah, there's is, cuts of like people dressed in devil makeup and like i don't even know because well, it was supposed to be were. a demon that was haunting woody harrelson yeah no i understand right, I, right. I like those moments yeah well you no, see no, early no. on the opening scene let's just get get to the opening scene here so we've got the opening scene we've got the snake we've got the colors the green the blue the red tints we've got the you know the car driving up you know the skull the dead animal the roadkill and then you've got the TV where it shows, like, Leave it to Beaver. It mm-hmm. shows Nixon resigning. Then it shows that demon, that devil, that recurring symbol, motif. And then you get Woody Harrelson ordering key lime pie. I guess maybe there is symbolism here, but once again, it's a little over the top. The green means violence and evil and sickness. You know, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. You see the green on the jukebox. Um, but I just let opening scene with the music... Uh, I guess he really used it, you know, very well. And that, to me, it, it, it pulled you in. And I guess if it doesn't, if you don't buy it. And the, then the cartoon violence with the bullets and the throwing of the knife and all that. None of that impressed you or just all deterred you from you wish it was more realistic? Or what do you... Yes, mean? deterred me. I wish it was more realistic. Um, no, so you didn't some... like the idea that this movie was filmed like channel surfing? 
Correct. So the, the, um, you, you and Coca-Cola, because Coca-Cola was outraged when they allowed Oliver Stone. I couldn't believe Coca-Cola was even involved in this movie. <laughs> they were not happy with the effects afterwards, <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, yeah, but I thought that was great. It's like you're channel surfing, and, oh, we cut to a Coca-Cola commercial. Then we're back to the news and the fighting and the killing in the prison. So, yeah, I, I okay, wow. I, I knew this movie, but I, I did think it's not your typical Oliver Stone movie, but I know you like Oliver Stone and it's an important movie it's not one of his best it's not JFK or Platoon or Wall Street but I think it's one of the best movies to capture the dark side of the mid-1990s the Clinton era and and, and again I, I agree with that piece of it and the message that it's sending all is fine I have no issue with that it's just the way the movie was shot took me out of the movie like Mm -hmm. i I honestly i don't know if woody harrelson and juliette lewis were good in this movie because i couldn't concentrate on anyone's performances because there was too much other crap going on (laughs) okay it was filmed like for someone with add yes exactly i felt like i was in the mind of somebody with adhd like and normally you know me i don't like that style that video game style that michael bay tony scott would adopt this style in his later movies uh movies like man on fire and domino um in my opinion not as successful because i don't think they had anything as important to say this i got what he was going for and i guess if you get what he's going for in the first five ten minutes and then it's just overkill on style I could understand that. I mean, I feel maybe the movie drags a little bit in the second half because that's it, it feels like a Kubrick movie where it's like two movies, the road trip movie and then the prison movie. You yeah. Know, Kubrick's, oh, yeah. I feel every Kubrick movie has like a halfway point where it completely shifts gears and it turns into something else. And this did that. Um, and I don't think that the prison scenes are as powerful as the earlier scenes. Um, but I still like it. And I think one of the main reasons why is because of Robert Downey Jr. More so than, um, than, uh, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones in the second hour. So, um, all right. So yeah, the movie starts off in a diner. Um, like I said before, the waitress is the Seinfeld bubble boy waitress. Um, Juliette Lewis is dancing. Um, and then I just wrote weird. The whole scene, <laughs> everything, is. it was just weird. All you didn't it, like uh, the Leonard Cohen song at all? That didn't do anything? No, do you like Leonard Cohen? I like Leonard Cohen. Me. Okay. I, like um, I don't really know much Leonard he's, Cohen. He's Canada's Bob Dylan. He's Jewish like Bob Dylan. He's, you know, he died yeah, didn't he, recently. Didn't he sing Hallelujah? He did. That's probably one of yeah. his most famous songs. Yeah. yeah so, but, I know uh, that. This, this was the first time I think I heard Leonard Cohen when I saw I saw this in high school at some point. And I was like, wow. Like, I, I was really blown away impressed by this movie when i yeah um the coach from major league is in this scene as well (laughs) yes Um, yeah with that james gammon he's got that gruff voice yeah in the opening scene yeah yeah he gets he's the guy that gets his finger cut off Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just mayhem they start killing people no explanation as to why um and then they they leave one survivor and say, make sure you tell everyone who did this. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice how she cheated with the eeny, meeny, miny, mo to make sure that the Olan Jones waitress gets shot and not the guy? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, that. yeah. <laughs> she, 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 it should have been the guy if she really did eeny, meeny, miny, mo the right way. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, so um, – I did like the um, 
the sitcom scene. See, I'm surprised because that's Rodney Dangerfield. That's in some ways that's the most out there surreal scene, but also in some ways, depending on what you bring to it, it could be the most disturbing scene in the whole movie. And that's like the second or third scene in the movie because it shows well, how Mickey and Mallory Knox meet each other. Uh, right. He's delivering the meat and the father, and you learn about her, you know, incestuous, abusive yeah. past from her father, and in very dark and disturbing ways. And once again, you got the black and white shot. So it's like the black and white is what's supposed to be in her head, and then the color is what's supposed to be really happening. But it's mm-hmm. shot so like I love Lucy, I love Mallory, like sitcom laugh track, really, really crazy, laughing at the most inappropriate lines. Um, but I and think, that's what I think I liked about it is like mm. it, I liked that take on that situation. I'm not okay. saying I I thought the content was good. I mean, obviously it was terrible. Yes. But I thought it was an interesting take. Mm. And that was the one time in this movie where I bought that kind of – I was like, okay, maybe I can get into this. Yeah, I but agree. Then, that was a good take on really dark, disturbing family situations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a commentary on our expectations as an audience. We need a laugh track, and we're going to laugh at no matter what they say. So he's going to say, oh, you know, I, I raped your sister, and then nine months later you came out. You know, and then the audience is laughing. It's like, oh, my God, you know, but we're, we're just, like, conditioned, like Pavlov's dog, to laugh at those sorts of things when we hear it and when we see things the way they're shot. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I... I, I did buy into that scene and i was like all right this is interesting this is different i like where this is going um but then there was you know then i just fell out lost again because yeah, that's I mean, it's only a five minute scene they it's eat, only a five minute they scene argue, um she runs away and then he gets arrested and the next scene is him in jail with her and yeah so. well they steal his car steal and his he gets car, arrested yeah. for grand theft auto right um and then they he escapes because there's a tornado when he's doing like stable work or something in, the, in yeah. the prison. So he steals a horse and and basically rides right toward the tornado. Yeah. Um, so nobody can. That's get a him. weird scene, but once again, I think that you got to take this movie as a social commentary. You got to take this movie as a surreal work of art. Okay, like a Salvador Dali painting almost. Okay, or like a Picasso painting. It's not. Meant even platoon gritty realism, okay. Born on the Fourth of July, absolute blunt, truthful realism. This is violent and you know out there, yes, but it's you know, it. it I look at it as a as just a commentary, you know, like abstract art, yeah. Right, and that's what, and I had read that too. Like you're not supposed to take the prison riot scene seriously. Well, mm-hmm. then why am I watching it? Like. I, I don't like movies where I'm not supposed to take what I'm seeing seriously. You're supposed seriously. to take it as a commentary about the prison system or as a commentary about... the. I look at this as one of the best takedowns, commentaries of the media, and I wish there was more, and I wish there was an updated version because I think where we're at now with the media, because look at what... Trump has done. Look at what you know. Mm-hmm. the news media has done in general. Fake news. We don't know what to trust. Vaccine. No vaccine. Uh, I would love for a Natural Born Killers, not remake, but someone with the passion and the fire and the energy and the mindset of Oliver Stone to make a movie about 
what this is like and what we're going through. See, Oliver Stone did say something. I do, I do have a lot of his movies on DVD. And in the commentary on JFK, one of the most important things he said was, you know, he feels this way about JFK and the assassination because it happened while he was a young man. He said he believes young people should be the ones making movies about incidents like this. And then that's why his, his 9-11 movie was horrible. He should right. have known, or he didn't even try to bring the same energy. He just wanted to make a, oh, Americans were strong kind of movie, you know? Yeah. So it, you need someone, you know, a younger Oliver Stone should be making W, okay? A younger, but there isn't one, okay? We don't have anyone like that. Or if we do, they're not getting, you know, money from Warner Brothers or Paramount or Netflix even to tell their stories. So it's it's just, it's, it's a, this is a very poignant important time capsule of a movie i think so. yeah I, again the message isn't the problem here it's just not one that you'd it, ever watch for fun yeah and it's not the way not shot the way that it could have like it could have just been a more serious movie that does the same sends the same message without just all the weird stuff do that's you think it would have had the same impact i mean what are some can you think of other movies there's tons of movies that take down the media okay well, because you don't need me or Oliver Stone to tell you that the media is corrupt, the media is out for money. Right. I mean, you just watch a, a Geraldo interview. You don't need me to tell you that he modeled his character after Geraldo. You probably knew that Geraldo were people like him. Uh, I guess mm. Tucker Carlson might be, you know, a person, or even a liberal-minded person. You know, uh, take Anderson Cooper, for example, whomever. You know, they're out for themselves. They're out for their looks, their image, their ratings. Can you think of another movie that deals with these themes as well or better than natural born killers um not off the top of my head but okay. i'm sure i could come so up with to something. me this is the epitome of that so i mean but it was controversial at the time and I, I understand why not everyone liked it but i do know like i said in 1994 three of the biggest critical outlets called it one of the best movies of the year slash decade and you know now it's rotten so um yeah, yeah. all right so um yeah so it's just like you know when they're sitting in the um they're in like a ca they're in a hotel room or something and they have a hostage tied up yeah and like outside the window is like screens of like i like like it's, it's just like a weird. Wild West looking thing. I yeah. like that though, because it was like, like TV. It was like, a, like they've yeah, got like the TV there. Yeah. It's like they've got the TV on. They've got the hostage, the real person in the corner, which in the director's cut, which I think you told me you you saw, you rented the director's cut. That's yeah. what I have on DVD. He like rapes her, you know, and th that was not in the. Um, that was one of the. It's only three minutes longer the director's cut, but that was one of the things that uh, the MPAA made Oliver Stone take out. Yeah, and while he's doing that, she's like she like drives to a garage, and is like comes onto this mechanic working there, and then yeah. when he gets aggressive, she shoots him. And right, kills yeah, him. she just kills him right there. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, the the violence in this movie is not what I had an issue with at all. I mean, it's I you know I didn't love it because it's it's a lot, but it wasn't my issue with this. Did movie. the violence bother you more in this movie or True Romance? Because I know we both had an issue with the violence in True Romance. Um, True Romance because it just didn't fit where it happened and like just a man beating up a woman. Yeah, like that over. five minutes of James Gandolfini yeah. beating the hell out of Patricia Arquette. Yeah, it was just I mean, that was, And it took them like, 
it took them days to shoot that. I'm like, oh my god. And he, James yeah. Gandolfini, allegedly hated because he had to be really aggressive and violent to a woman. So, uh, but yeah, that and, and that felt realistic. Yes, this movie, Natural Born Killers, is extremely violent in some parts, but it doesn't, and it, it's brutal and realistic in a lot of parts, but it doesn't feel. Uh, I don't know. It has. It, yeah. I guess it has that surreal comic book, you know, quality. Oh, speaking of comic book, isn't uh, we're, we're neither of us are experts on this, but isn't Woody Harrelson in the new Marvel movie, the new uh, uh, what's it called, Venom, Carnage, something? Or yes, other? he is. He's Carnage. Yeah. yeah, he's Carnage. Yeah, I did see the last Venom movie, and he had like a cameo in the closing credits at the very movie. end. Yeah. Yeah. So did you didn't see the new one? Did you? No, not the not the one that's, that just came out. Yeah, but so still proving a point. He's you know a, one of the leading actors in one of the biggest Hollywood movies that's you know at the box oh, yeah. office he was, right now. Yeah. He was in a Star Wars movie, um, the Which worst one, one that, of the worst I ones. He was in Which, Solo. I don't remember him in Solo. I saw. I oh, saw he had it with a you. huge. Yeah, he had a huge part. He was the one. He was working with. Uh, that's who like Han Solo was working with. They they like robbed a train at one point, or Star Wars version of a train. Does he double cross uh, Solo? Yes, at the very uh, end. Yeah. Okay. It's. I mean, that was a forgettable movie, I guess. So yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, but, and, yeah he and was, that was he with was in uh, a big role for him. Ron Howard. Ron Howard directed him in Ed TV. He's. I think yeah. he worked with Ron Howard a few times. Um. So yeah. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know that. Or I didn't remember that. Is what yeah, so yeah, yeah, he's in a Star Wars movie. He's in a you know Marvel movie. Uh, all within the past five years, decade. So yeah, he's you know he's he's doing very very well. Once again, proving our point. But uh, this is yeah. what got him started. This is what set him on that path. This is what led him to you know two years later getting an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor for People versus Larry Flint. Did you ever see People versus Larry Flint? I did. Yes. Uh, did you think he was really good in that? I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, I did think he was okay. good. And who played okay. um, the girl in that? Courtney Love. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the two or three years, Courtney Love was A-list. She was, uh, yeah, there was talk yeah, that yeah. she should have gotten a nomination for that. And uh, Ed Norton was, I think he might have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year for that movie. Um, for, yeah. As playing the lawyer uh, who gets shot with him when uh, Larry Flint gets paralyzed. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, inter- you like talking more about Woody Harrelson's career than you do talking about the movie that made him a, a movie star. So. Well, there's... <laughs> Dude, I mean, my notes. I mean, there's not really. I didn't really write much. I mean, not not a lot happens in this movie. Um, well, the first hour is them on the run, killing. People. Right, they're on the run. The first you get hour. The background. Then the yeah. second hour, they're in prison, and the movie does have a tonal shift. We meet the warden. We meet. We deal more with Scagnetti. We deal a lot more with uh, Wayne Gale, uh, the Robert Downey Jr. character, uh, and I just loved. He's what made the second hour worthwhile. Because he's in the prison with the interview. The, you know what my biggest qualm is with this movie? My biggest criticism? And there is no way, but I guess because they had to have a prison riot in there, there is absolutely no way that I buy that they would let the prison crew come in and interview them and, you know, that, that they would let Mickey and Mallory Knox have a little more freedom because they're such big shots. But what I would never buy is in the second half when he... Um, when the, he's doing the interview, that it's A, going to be broadcast live across the country, and B, they're going to let the entire prison watch it live while it's happening. 
and C, he wasn't in any kind of handcuffs or anything. And there are men with that, like I said, in the, the room with him. Yeah, the freedom <laughs> part, I because he's he was like, you treat him like Charles Manson or like Jeffrey Dahmer. He was. I a, think a, even a, Charles Manson had handcuffs on during an interview, or he wasn't in the same room with loaded weapons. That on, yeah, on handcuffs. So, okay, okay, it's 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 the movie part, but I I guess I didn't like that the whole prison is going to be. Watching, yeah, they would. They would never. We watch it. They would never let them have that much freedom. The the other prisoners, maybe Mickey and Mallory, yes, but not the other prisoners. And that's my biggest issue with again. It's you're from what I've read. Oliver Stone says, "Well, you're supposed to suspend reality. That wouldn't have happened that way, obviously." Like. Uh, you know, obviously a guard tower can't get overtaken by prisoners because there's a door that locks that the people can't get up to it, you know? So, mm-hmm. like, like obviously that w- would have never happened in any way, shape, or form like that. Um, so, again, you know me. I like movies that are at least somewhat realistic. And when it's uh, – if I am if I have to suspend belief that much, then, you know, why, why – And Oliver Stone usually does go for gritty realism. Even JFK, which has some right. outlandish theories – he does it so well and backs up his conspiracy theory viewpoints with facts, with, or at least, or would look like facts. Right. Looked like plausible. <laughs> it looked plausible. You'll right. you'll get out of JFK, and even if believe me, he clearly manipulates a lot of things. But the way he does it is, it, it's it was a powerful, controversial movie, you know, and and so was this, I guess, to a lesser extent, but. Um, yeah, but this was going for less, you know, it was going, for, it was like a surreal, hyper, you know, violent dream, um, you know, and just a commentary about our society. And like I said, I keep bringing this up, but I would love to see, you know, someone with his mindset and his, the means and the, you know, financial millions, someone give him the millions of dollars to make the next era, you know, what what our smartphones are doing to us. Because this is just about what television is doing to us. Uh, I, I feel like the smartphones are a million times more dangerous with what we, we see on the news. What they're Look at what's going on with Facebook in the news. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot more dangerous than Geraldo and hard copy and, I don't know, early days of CNN. Mm-hmm. And, and or even just social media and how dangerous that is. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, this this I mean, uh, it's, it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a there's... lot. And our world is in a much different place now than it was in 1994. But this captures 1994. So, uh, I, I mean, it I does. And, yeah. and again, like I said, you know, the message is there and I like it. And, you know, at the end of the movie, there's scenes of, you know, there's O.J. Simpson in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. There's uh and this um, was right when O.J. Simpson was arrested. This was shortly yeah, after right the, after, the yeah. White Bronco. Yeah. So this was before another big 90s story. I don't know where you were in 1995, but I guarantee you, you heard about Hugh Grant getting arrested with a prostitute. Yeah. You couldn't escape that. And then, of course, two or three years later, you heard about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, yep, and that was what we were consumed with. So there was really nothing. in The 90s was sort of like a... I would love to have those problems again, you know, compared to what we're dealing with now and the problems we mm-hmm. have now, but, and how we've de-evolved as a society, I think. Um, like, look at how, yeah, we're more woke and we're more, um, look, look at what this movie has us talking about, okay? This is why I like this movie. It's a movie that deals with ideas and deals with, you know, the, the, the problems of society. And I think in a movie can be a discussion point like that. Whether you like it or not, I think you got to give it credit for that. Yeah, no, I, again, I, I, 
it's not that's not what I didn't like mm-hmm. about this movie. What I didn't like about it was the Oliver Stoneness of it. Oh, okay. so I think I liked the idea of it, and that I think you know the story, which is what Tarantino, yeah. you know, his part in this. And I would have, I would have loved to see him direct this movie. I probably would have loved it. Um, however. Oliver Stone and and not not that I have anything against him I, I love a no, lot and of in his 1994 movies. he was a much more you know successful you know he was a bigger yeah. name than Tarantino today Tarantino is the bigger name you know biggest right. name in Hollywood for as a director uh, pretty much other than maybe Tarantino Spielberg and Christopher Nolan I think uh, or maybe even bigger than some of those in in certain aspects um, yeah so yeah but and but Oliver Stone was like look at the list of movies I named before that he came out with this he was on a huge hot streak you know um, yeah I, I agree and and yeah. I think you know I think he's he eventually ended up trying to outstone himself yeah. much to the much to the way that Christopher Nolan is now trying to out Christopher Nolan himself. Yeah, um, that's a good and, point. That's a good point. I, so you think I, his best days are behind him? <laughs> both of them I do, honestly. Well, obviously um, for Oliver Stone, yeah, but Christopher Nolan, I mean, I didn't like Tenet that much. Did you see Tenet? I didn't even see Tenet because just looking at the trailer, it's like, oh, here we go again. Like, what's what is it? A dream within a nightmare within a happy dream? Like, like <laughs> what's happening now? Well, I did love Inception, but to me Tenet was yeah, a kind of a poor it, Once again, it it looked great. But I, and I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, I only saw it once. I don't really know what happened in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And if I saw it again, maybe I'd know a little more, but I wasn't interested enough to see it again. Okay. Inception, right. maybe I didn't fully get it the first time I saw it. Memento, I certainly, his independent movie, his first movie, I, one of his first movies, I certainly didn't get everything, but I was compelled. I couldn't wait to see it again, and then I did, and I got it even more. So, yeah. And I thought Interstellar was a huge letdown. I hated that. Okay, you and I were, I didn't realize you didn't like that. I think I saw that with you as well, and a big group of people, and I feel like I was the only one who didn't like that. But yeah, that was a poor man's 2001, and a bunch of other bad sci-fi, you know, cliches yeah. uh, thrown in there as well. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's been a while since I like Dunkirk, but I love Dunkirk. So yeah, um, but uh, yeah, okay. So either way, so, Oliver Stone. I guess Oliver Stone here. He just uh, so I think he he knew how big he was, and he probably said, "Well, I'm going to do this the way I want to because I can," and and, and no and, one told him no. And right. all the other movies, maybe there was someone telling him, no, you shouldn't do this. No, you shouldn't do that. And or this, or he just didn't have that... the guts to do it yet. You know mm. what I mean? Like, he didn't have the ego or the success just unleashed. to, to yeah, drive He just him. unleashed. He yeah, was unleashed, so. clearly unleashed in this movie. And, yeah. hey, it, maybe some people like it, and that's fine. I, You know, it just it wasn't my kind of movie okay. I certainly like style. It. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was the best movie of the decade, but I would put it on my top maybe not top 10 but certainly top 20 just in terms of what it represented for the decade yeah and like i said i movies that represent the 90s as well as this movie in my opinion so for that i have to give it credit and i would have liked it more and, and would have gotten into it more had it not been for all the other crap that kept pulling me out of it mm-hmm. um and and i wasn't a fan of the second half of the movie i thought it was silly i i was actually getting angry at some points because i i, I was starting i was <laughs> thinking like this would never happen this would never happen. and the more that happens the more angry i get mm-hmm. um because it just got more and more absurd as i mean they had tommy lee Jones, the warden's head on a stick 
Um, that was only in the director's <laughs> cut. That didn't yeah, bother but, me. Yeah, but it didn't bother me. It was just it, yeah. it was just getting more and more absurd, and yeah, I just kept getting about more the, and more angry. Yeah. Do you know about the deleted scenes? Uh, no, I don't. There's okay. There's two worth mentioning. Uh, one is a very long courtroom scene where Ashley Judd, a very young Ashley Judd before she became super famous, um, where she's testifying in court. Um, and Woody Harrelson, I guess he's defending himself. So he gets up and he starts interrogating her and I guess he has a sharp pencil or something and he goes over and he stabs her and that ends that and he kills her in the, on the witness stand. Um, and then there's another one that has Dennis Leary just going, you know, off on a tangent about Fidel Castro and JFK and of course, cause it's Oliver Stone. So, uh, you know, you got to Dennis Leary as himself. It, he, I or think as a stand-up a, comic, or he's an inmate in the prison. Oh, okay. It doesn't. It, it almost. I'm glad. I I'm glad that it's not in there. The only way that that scene, the way it's shot, could have been plausible is if it was sandwiched between two commercials, like you're channel surfing. If you saw the Coca-Cola, the polar bears. Then you mm-hmm. saw Dennis Leary. Then you saw maybe a, I don't know, a Wayne Gale advertisement for his show or, you know, something like that. And then boom, back to the action. It felt like a, like a family guy cutaway almost. Um, yeah, yeah. He's just he's just talking like a crazy person in his cell. It's, it's a good, he's good, because if you like Dennis Leary, it's a good scene. Um, but I think he's just supposed to be an inmate in the cell. Then they just let him sort of just give this monologue. Um, and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, notable uh, scenes. Do you did you recognize the guy who plays the doctor, uh, Doctor Emil? I forgot what his last name was, but uh, in when there they shows Wayne Gale. Uh, yeah, I who was I looked him up and I was trying to figure out what I know him from, but I couldn't figure it out. He's like Roddy Dangerfield. He's mostly a stand-up comedian with just a dry, monotonous delivery. His name yeah, is yeah, Stephen yeah. Wright. Stephen Wright. Um, okay. He he was in uh, he's he was in Half Baked. He was the guy on the couch in Half Baked. He yeah, was in yeah, Reservoir yeah. Dogs. You don't see him, but you hear him. He's the voice of K Billy Super Sounds of the seventies. Keeps on oh, okay. trucking. So he's the voice in between all those scenes. You know when they cut yeah, to yeah, scenes, yeah. Uh, he's on the radio um, in Reservoir Dogs. He's been in a few. He was in a movie with Madonna called Desperately Seeking Susan. I think he. Was. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay, yeah. So, um, whatever. Yeah, another interesting famous person in there um but uh yeah i mean i guess if we don't go scene by scene with this movie you know because clearly it, it does i guess feel like two scenes what do you think about the scene i'd like to talk about the scene um with him with the native american and then the following scene at the pharmacy with that bright green and where they eventually get arrested and it's like they're reenacting the rodney king riots uh the rodney king beating yeah what did you think of that or both, either either of those, any of those, good, bad, any thoughts about either of those two um, scenes? I thought they were both really memorable and powerful. So, yeah, I mean, I guess they were okay. I mean, the uh, but again, it was just so much weird stuff that it just takes me out of the scenes. Like, See, I like that green. You know, normally I don't like over the green. The top. Was the the green was the least of the issues for me? It's just about the, the skeleton behind them with the you know when they're at the pharmacy and he's they got bit by the snake and the, the, yeah. the fat uh, Asian pharmacist. Um, yeah, and the skeletons behind them. It's just it's so I don't know. It's it's, it's memorable, and I guess I like movies. A big difference between you and I is you, if a movie is 
memorable and shows me something that I've never seen before or just makes it makes an impact on me, I give it credit. You, if it shows you something you've never seen before, you've got to like it. And if you don't like it or if you don't agree with it, you know, even though you're going to remember it, now you're going to remember Natural Born Killers for a long time because I can tell by the, the tone in your voice how much you hated this movie. And you <laughs> never, you never just come right out and say you hated a movie. Okay, yeah. not as long as we've been doing this podcast, at least. Right. Um, you'll you'll wait till the end, and you'll be like, "But it's a real big mistake." You know, there was you, so this this had it hit you on an emotional level. You didn't like the emotions that I guess it brought out. So even if I don't like the emotions that a movie's making me feel, I mm. still give that movie credit for making me feel something, feel a certain yeah. way. And that's why I almost like some bad movies when they're so bad. And I find them offensive or reprehensible. I almost kind of, in a way, admire and respect them for getting a reaction out of me versus just some random, dumb, carbon copy, cookie cutter Marvel movie that I'll forget about five days after I saw it. So, I don't know. I guess that's where you and I differ. Yo. All right. Sorry. Okay, um, I guess we'll 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 edit that out. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, I was just talking the whole time, so I'll just edit a couple. This is one eighteen. Yeah. I don't have anything to write down on, but I'll. I'll... Okay, well, continue. So I I All like right. the emotional reactions. Yeah, that and the and movie will get me. I, I get that, and uh, to me, like you said, I have to like uh, uh, when someone does something that different in terms of the style of the film. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not against do, people doing things different. Um, sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, clearly this movie didn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and it's not supposed to. I mean, right, he clearly made this fine. movie to I, upset and to make people question and to make people aggravated and frustrated. And obviously he succeeded. Yeah, but what he, in, in a way, yes, but he, he didn't make me aggra- aggravated or upset with the content or the message of the movie. Um, I got more aggravated and upset with just the way it was shot and all mm-hmm. the, the cuts, and, and it just took me out of it and took away from that content and that message. And like I said, I, I don't know. I guess the actors were okay, but, but they, I wasn't, they, you know, wasn't, I didn't, I don't think it's anyone's best performance. Um, and I think that's probably why nobody was, or I don't know if this is why, but maybe it has something to do with reason why nobody was nominated for any Oscars in this movie. And um, maybe because the, you know it was hard for any, like even at, like in the prisons, I, I don't even know what was happening with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Was he breaking up with his wife and then trying to get with his mistress? But, but yeah, there was tell. something like that. I and didn't. Yeah, and there then was he was some shooting. Then that, he started yeah. shooting guards. And I just, I didn't even, I was so, so often in this movie, I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on that I couldn't, (laughs) because of the way it was shot and everything, that it took me out of the message. Even Mm. though I know the message and I like the message and I agree with the message of this movie. So you got to give it Um, some credit for that. No, yes. I mean. Yeah, I I give this movie some credit. It's just not a a movie for me. Robert Downey Jr. was fine. He, He was the... 
you know, the guy that's, you know, the Australian, what is it, Amer- Maniacs in America or something like that. Is American Maniacs. Yes. American Maniacs. But I love how they made an Australian be the host of that. Like, imagine us going to another country and being, you know, British Maniacs yeah. or something like right. <laughs> Canadian lunatics. It would just, it just, I think that added to it. And I, I think this is his best performance. Can you, what would be your favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance if you had one? Um, I don't know that I have a favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance. I, I liked him in the first Iron Man, and then by, like, the fifth movie I saw with him being Iron Man, I hated him. Because um, okay. it was just, like, too much at that point. The same thing, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't even like Iron Man 1, to be honest. I remember. I liked Iron Man 1, and then mm. e- with each subsequent performance of him in any movie playing Tony Stark, I just hated him even more and more. Um... I liked him in uh, Chaplin. I thought was good, but again, he was very good in that. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. That's but again, I, I don't know that I have a favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance. Um, okay. I actually liked him in Weird Science. Uh, he was in that. Yes, you, um, you, that is a rich movie. In fact, I think I borrowed that and saw that from the first time from you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, but again, he, it's, he, it's not a Robert Downey Jr. by any movie by any means. He's just you know one of the. Well, this isn't a characters. Robert Downey Jr. He's a supporting character in Natural Born Killers, but I, I can't think of a performance that he gave that was better. And I do think he's a good actor. I mean, yeah, Iron Man, he's wasting his time, but making his money. But I do, I'll never say he's not a good actor. Um, Yeah. So, regardless of what era Robert Downey Jr. we're talking about, I think he does, you know, do a good job in most of his most of his movies. Yeah, so. I would say the highlights for me in this movie were the uh, the I Love Lucy scene. Um, just because that was so different, and for me that worked. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, okay. Whereas other times this movie was so different, it, it didn't work, and it, it took me out of the movie. Okay. Um, I liked the... Um, I, I liked... Um, um, Tommy Lee Jones at times. I thought it, he, I actually laughed a few times when he was like, when they were saying things to him and his facial expressions. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they took Wayne Gale and he's like, oh, that's not yeah. bad because he hated, they hated him. Yeah, like I, he's got Wayne Gale. <laughs> I, I thought his hair was distracting with that, like that one piece, that poof up in the front. I was yeah, just, it was. But yeah. once again, he does go over the top with, you know, when everything's going wrong, he's like, why is this happening to me? People are dying and he's worried about himself once again. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. With the message, you know, beating you over the head with the film's message. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I had no problems with. That and with and that I liked idea. when um, when um, Woody Harrelson shaves his head and and his look with you know the shaved head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked his interview. I yep. thought that was good. Um, basically, the parts that were yeah. So yeah, I, I like that. But then you know when when it when I realized that the prisoners were watching it and then it caused that that never bothered me as much until this time I had seen this movie many times yeah I guess high school college era so teenage late teenage years and then I hadn't actually sat down and watched it straight through until this week or last week whatever it was and that is the one thing I don't remember noticing or upsetting me you know but mm-hmm. that's the one thing. If I had a criticism, it would be that. And I'd maybe come up with some other excuse for them to have a prison riot. If you need to have a prison riot so Mickey and Mallory could escape. I'd yeah. come up with – I'd 
connive, create some other way where something happens or Mickey does something or Mallory does something that, you know, unleashes a few prisoners, then they release a few more, then they re- and then pretty soon all the prisoners are out and all the guards are, you know, fighting for their lives kind of thing. So that's what I would have done. Uh, um, I, I, and then, uh, you know, then the end of the movie, they end up, they escape prison with Robert Downey Jr.'s character. They yeah. end up killing him and using his camera as the one person that they are leaving behind. I love that. Leave somebody behind. Yeah, I love yeah, it, I thought which that is was fine. a great ending. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. And when he runs no away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Cut, 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 cut. It's a joke, right? Or whatever he says. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I did like that moment. Um, and then you have all those cuts to, you know, it was like, if you want to know what the TV was like in night between 1991 to 1994, Rodney King, Lorena Bobbitt, OJ Simpson, the Menendez brothers, just all of that. Boom, boom, boom. Cut commercials, you know, and then you've got uh, the, the uh, you know, images of Woody Harrelson with blood all over his face and those, what do they call them, chicken sunglasses, the red, you know, circular yeah, yeah, sunglasses. Yeah. Um, and, and then you cut to another Leonard Cohen song. Um with uh, it shows Mickey and Mallory driving off in like a Winnebago, and she's pregnant, and they say have a kid, and they have kids, so it's yeah. showing that they move on and they get domesticated. So it's sort of almost like a Clockwork Orange, really. Um, mm-hmm. How you know it's a vicious cycle of violence, but eventually they grow up, sort of. Um, so did did this movie make you think of Clockwork Orange at all? Have you seen Clockwork Orange? I've seen Clockwork Orange, but no, I didn't. That that didn't. Okay. I didn't trigger that connection, but okay, because that's about the media and government corruption yeah. and money, and I mean that's that dealt with a lot of similar themes. And both are, you know, Clockwork Orange was extremely violent and controversial for its time, and I think that violence holds up, and it's still shocking to watch today. And that's yes, that's fifty years ago, nineteen seventy one, Clockwork Orange. So yeah, wow, hard to believe. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that holds up better than this movie. Um, so Agreed. are there, are there any other like really violent movies that, you know, have a message that made an impact on you? Um, I can't think of any, not, not this violent. Okay. Like Bonnie and um, Clyde. I don't know. That certainly, no, has, that was I as much about Bonnie the sixties. You've never seen, oh, yeah. you would like that. That's as much about the sixties, even though it takes place in the thirties with dealing with the yeah. real Bonnie and Clyde about the counterculture and you know, the youth movement and how it captured how Americans, you know, young Americans were feeling in 1967 when it was made. So Mm -hmm. I give that movie a lot of credit. And this, if that movie didn't exist, we wouldn't have Natural Born Killers. We wouldn't have The Godfather as far as I'm concerned. Sonny Corleone's death, 100%, you know, completely, you know, ripped off from the the shootout at the end of Bonnie and Clyde, I thought. so. Or even Coppola, I think, even admitted that. He's like, yeah, you know, I got the idea from Bonnie and Clyde. So, yeah. Um, All right. So this was not a favorite movie of yours, not one that you want to return to, not one that you're giving it (laughs) a couple hours to have a conversation with, but not a fun movie and not one that you'd like to uh, remember and talk about. (laughs) No, this isn't. No, for me, this one is a real big mistake. Um, Just not my kind of movie in terms of. Uh, you know, just the style it was shot okay. in, and the the cartoonish and comic bookness yeah. of it, and the unrealistic part, you know, pieces of it, yeah. uh, everything taken to the extreme. Um, again, I think you can might get the message across without having to go to these extremes, um, and and just, just the style and all that. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, just not for me. That's all. I mean, I have no issue with it, and I get it. Um, Are you glad you saw it? Um, because it's certainly different. It's certainly you know, it's not something. Yeah. I mean, you do like Oliver Stone, and you like the actors. But I mean, are, are you? I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not mad that I saw it. Okay. I, you okay. know, I did. I didn't make me angry. I just didn't. I mean, well, at parts I was angry because I was like, this would never happen. And but, <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm I, I could take it or leave. Take or leave the experience of seeing it. I mean, I gotcha. guess I'm glad I saw it just because I. You know, it's. Uh, it's a different movie. Um, Definitely, yeah. For but, this podcast, especially, you know, yeah, I, that's sure. why I'm surprised to see that it was rotten. Um, but yeah, because I could see critics liking this because I get it. I get it as this being like a movie that critics would like and all the, you know, all his cuts and everything. I, I could yeah. see critics eating that up. Well, all um, your complaints about the lack of subtlety and the hyperkinetic made for someone with ADHD. I feel like that's with MTV and music videos that became more prevalent throughout the 90s and I think it's more prevalent today in terms of how they make movies than it was back in 1994. And those are all criticisms that would normally bother me, you know, too much violence, violence without mm-hmm. anything to say. I do think the all the, this movie was violent with something to say. It had a purpose, it had a message which you've agreed with. But normally I would agree with you that those are flaws and faults of the film, but with this particular movie, I got the message, and I bought it. And I guess from the opening scene, you either ride with them, you know, and they're going through this crazy, psychokinetic, you know, wild ride, or you don't, and you want to get off, and you're, like, stuck on a bus for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> wishing that you could just get off because you're getting nauseous. I get that feeling. So uh, I bought it. You didn't. And I feel like that's the way this movie was meant to be, where some people accepted it and got it and thought it was brilliant and got the message and, you know, accepted his vision. And others just thought his vision was garbage. And that's fine, too. So I think and I think those are the interesting kind of movies that you could have good conversations on. Um, So. All right. Yeah. So that does it for Natural Born Killers. Um Anything else you want to add? Or? No, I, I mean, I stand by. I don't think it's a real big mistake. Uh, I, I understand why you didn't like it. I'm glad you're not mad at me for making you uh, watch this movie. But uh, <laughs> it's certainly, it's, yeah, it's not for everybody. And I didn't know which way. There was a part of me that thought you'd like it. There was a part of me that thought you'd hate it. There was a part of me that thought you'd accept certain things and not accept others so mm-hmm. i really didn't know what to think and i was dying to know what you thought and now i know and uh, well whatever i mean so it's yeah because i know you you don't like violence for the sake of violence you know um but, right i yeah. mean in this case i i that didn't bother me so much as again just the you know all the other nonsense. the editing the cuts the jumping yeah. the black and white the colors the crazy colors the animation and yep. yeah it's all that <laughs> it's 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 a wild wild 2 hours and yeah it's not you know definitely you know you got to be in the right mindset i suppose to really watch it all the way through but yeah Alrighty, so one big real mistake from you not a real big mistake from me do you have a movie for next week yeah, well, I mean, you're, you're beating me into it um, <laughs> with this pick. Um, not only because of the actor that's in it, but also because after watching that, 
Uh, I think we could all use a good laugh. <laughs> yes. Um, so I will uh, take the bait, and I will make next week's movie. Uh, oof, you gotta have to help me with the year. I think it's ninety five or ninety six, but it's ninety six. Yep. 96. Kingpin. Summer of ninety six. I remember seeing this in the Kingpin. theater. Kingpin. Yeah, in the summer of nineteen ninety six, and I believe it's on Amazon Prime or Hulu. Oh, okay. I have the DVD. Um, okay, but, I don't, uh, so I plan on watching it. Ah, oh, reversed. You have the DVD and I do not. I do have the I plan the on DVD watching it on, um, on Amazon Prime or Hulu, whichever one it is on. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, good. All Probably right, so. the only bowling movie ever, right? <laughs> Just uh, strictly you count Big Lebowski as a bowling movie? I don't, uh, but I know some people have. Yeah, they spend time at the bowling it. alley, for sure. You see bowling in it, uh, but it's certainly not integral to the plot. They could be hanging out at a, I don't know, yeah, a at roller a skating hall. rink or a pool hall or, a, <laughs> I don't know, anywhere. Uh, so, um, but whatever. Okay, so yeah, Kingpin. Uh, uh, I did write about this when I did my list of best sports movies. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and I, I did mention Kingpin in there for bowling. So, all, all right. right. Very good. That so, will we'll, be next that'll week. be the next one. Yep. All right. All right. You want to sign off first? Yep. So, uh, you can follow us on at Real Big Mistake on Twitter and uh, at Real Big Mistakes on Instagram, and um, yeah, we'll post uh, upcoming episodes and things like that. Yep, and you could follow me on Twitter at Jason K Critic. Um, and read all my reviews and articles and listen to all of our podcasts on uh, panandslam.com, www.panandslam.com. And yeah, I'll sign off now. I'm Jason Konigsberg. Live long, prosper, and watch movies. All right. Thanks for hanging with us.